0: Chapter 43 There stood Captain Errol I was lying on soft earth Every one of my joints, bones and muscles throbbed As if I'd been pummeled, beaten dismembered and put back together again It hurt But strangely enough my mind felt peaceful Peaceful and as soft and dew-scented as the ground I lay on, as if the violence and pain I'd experienced were really nothing more than a vast and cosmic massage. I sat up, light-headed, rubbed my sore limbs and looked around. I was in a wide grassy hollow. Trees fringed the surrounding higher ground, light spilling and glittering through the topmost branches. The scene was peaceful, bucolic even. But something about the light troubled me. It was bright but had a cold artificiality to it. I looked up at the sky and my disquiet grew. The sky above was not the warm blue of summer or the pale blue of winter. It was instead a pale greyish colour. There were no clouds. But here and there were long, faint patches of mauve or dun, as if what I looked on was not a sky as such, but a vast expanse of stretched skin. A recollection came to me then of listening as a child to a story about one of the more obscure divinities who'd been cut up and his skin stretched over the frame of a drum his bones had become musical instruments. It was a gory tale that ended happily with the divinity not only put back together again, but blessed with the ability to play any instrument. As I lay beneath that ugly sky thinking on this, I was distracted by a large red and golden butterfly flitting by my face. I watched it fluttering its way to a cluster of orange flowers while wondering if I had remembered the story correctly. Perhaps it was a mortal youth who'd become a divinity, or a divinity who'd become a man. And maybe it was not a youth, but certainly a dismemberment had figured in a story somewhere and nobody had been the worst the wear for it. Perhaps, I thought with misguided positivity, I have become a divinity myself. A shadow moved away from the trees, began to move down into the dell, I knew I should keep an eye on it but my attention drifted to the butterfly as it alighted on a flower, darting its needle-sharp tongue into the blossom's heart and drank deep. I looked to my body, saw I was still naked, still unharmed, the only wound being the hole in my right hand from which the red ribbon spilled. My misguided positivity took a leap upwards as it occurred to me that maybe I had overshot Trishika and landed in the paradisical part of the divine earth, a shadow fell on me, and finally I took cognizance of the figure standing directly in front of me. My dreamy thoughts focused suddenly into fearful alertness, for there stood Captain Arrow, tall and majestic and as handsome as he had been when I last saw him, a quarter of a century or so ago. His smile was wide and generous, and his eyes filled with sorrow, a sorrow that I knew from awful experience was more terrible than the bloodlust of any maniac. For the briefest of moments, the merest beat of time. As Captain Errol's smile broadened and his right arm began to rise from his side, I experienced again the screams and grunts and the panting of my own breath as I ran, bloodied sword in hand, through a tempest of shrapnel bullets, laser fire, stones and shit, with Captain Errol to one side of me and Deck on the other. I blinked. The screams were gone, as if they'd never been, and Captain Errol was walking towards me, his right hand reaching to mine. How are ye, Mr Marcus? He said, his voice as deep as distant thunder. As he came closer, my stomach filled with fear, a living, moving fear that squirmed and turned in my belly, like a soft and hungry parasite chewing, excreting, twisting and stretching and all the while feeding on a thicker, darker feeling a sense of guilt no, not guilt exactly more a sense of having done something utterly shameful and unforgivable stealing sweets from a corner shop masturbating onto Nanny's lingerie giving false witness to ensure an innocent man's death by garroting, the betrayal of a once-loved spouse. But I had suffered fear and shame many a time in my life and had long since learned how to master both. So I smiled, ignored the hand before me and, suddenly understanding the bloody events that took place during the festival of Tiene and Fierna, I spoke with as much insouciance as I could muster so you finally made it to Glake City captain well it was about time was it not mr. Marcus replied Captain Errol. you spoke so well of its wonders when we last conversed I promised I would pay a visit to that Marvel of the universe and I always keep a promise Mr. Marcus, as you well know, I've never let something as inconsequential as death thwart my designs. As he spoke, the light dimmed to be replaced by a sickly luminescence. Captain Arrow grasped my hand. His skin felt dry and hot. It's been a long and a wide duration of time. "'Since last I had the pleasure of your company, Mr Marcus. "'And now here you are, taking up residence in Drishika, "'with the rest and the best of us.' "'I'm only visiting,' I snapped, freeing my hand from his grip. "'The red ribbon tangled around his wrist. "'He loosened it, then rubbed the narrow strip of fabric between his coarse fingers. "'Is that so?' he said, nodding sagely, as the air around us began to coalesce into mist. Well, I'll be sure to mark you down, with great exactness, on my little list as the on-board entertainment. With that, he smiled, then asked, Will you be looking for Numa? I failed to keep my voice steady as I asked, is she here? Captain Errol's mouth moved as if chewing a bit of gristle. She might be, he said dreamily. She might just very well be. He sucked at his lips as his eyes glittered with regret. Was it not always thus? he said, and sighed deeply, which I recognised as a prelude for pompous oration. Thee and me with all our curious adventures and the best of them before us. Yet there she stood Aye, between us, a living limitation to all our potentialities. Oh, but what a wondrous phenomenon, your spouse. Wicked and wondrous, eh? But the time came as time must for heart to be reeled in. Brought to heal, tamed, given due punishment for all her deeds. And I, the only one of us all, with any capacity for devising the stratagems necessary to facilitate her capture. Oh, but she was as wily as she was wicked. She eluded me in life, and eludes me still, but only for a moment. For though I am a busy fellow, aiding the foul regent with my hard-earned skills... Time is on my side, and the cage waits patiently. Ah, but comets and carnivals, Mr Marcus, ye and me have the opposite difficulty, an inability to not meet up. But this day your arrival is most fortunate. Angels have fallen, Mr Marcus. As angels are wont to do. What this pair did is no concern of mine, whether they sought to become gods or mortals or simply refused to obey an order given. Whatever the deed, it was done without heed of divine law and divine punishment. So they were taken and marked as fallen, and given into the care of Melchorisha, who, in his generosity, has invited me to advise in their punishment. But do not think I am giving way to my old weakness of boasting and bluster. I tell you this news for it has a direct bearing on the situation that thee and me find ourselves in. I, the hunter of Numa, taken from the hunt at the moment when all Drishika echoes with rumour of her. You, the forlorn husband, arriving at precisely the same instant. Should we deem this coincidence or cosmic joke? Does it matter which? You will find, Numa. It has been your destiny since long before you first suckled your mother's breast and my destiny is to aye find thee. The captain rubbed the red ribbon between his fingers once more. Aye, you are the hook and the line, Mr Marcus, and when the fish snaps, have no doubt I'll come and reel ye and she in. With that he let the ribbon fall from his fingers, turned and vanished, leaving only the imprint of his boots on the crushed and broken mess of petals and butterfly wings and the stamp of his chilling words on my aching heart. I looked up from the butterfly's gaudy wreckage. The light was thick and filthy now, the air cold and wet against my naked body. As the fog thickened, I caught snatches of shadows and hints of sounds, mewlings, whisperings, carefree laughter and awful and anguished weeping. Unnerved, I stumbled towards the trees visible on the rise above me, with the sounds and scents and shadow play of that thick miasma growing ever more dreadful behind me. Thanks for listening to this latest chapter of Marcus, Marcus and the Hurting Heart. If you enjoyed the story, tell your friends, your family and your ancient enemies. And mind, look after yourselves and those around you. Wash your hands, keep your distance, wear your masks. Look after everybody, look after yourself and stay tuned for the next episode.